Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss, to just living better and with more energy, or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey, Tilly. Hey, Ella. It's been a couple of weeks since we recorded. What's going on with you? Lots, actually. But but there's something specifically to do with the show that I wanted to catch up with you about, if that's okay. Tell me everything. Okay, so I wanted to revisit that conversation we had about the conversation we had on air. Do you remember we got that question about pricing your product or service? Absolutely. I think that was the last episode we did together. Yeah. At one point in that conversation, you you were like, look, it's okay to lose customers if you need to do that to grow your business. Do you remember saying that? Yeah. Like if you have to, if you raise your prices and some people fall off. Yes, exactly. Yes, okay, and, and okay. Honestly, Ella, that was a real penny drop moment for me because I realized that I'm mostly motivated by the relationship, you know, so I respond to a client request ultimately with the desire to make them pleased with me rather than achieving my business goals. So this week, this really lovely guy that I've worked with before got in touch. And last time I worked with him, he was in a bit of a pickle. He, he basically needed to deliver something on a really limited budget that needed my skill sets. So, so I did a really quality piece of work for him, but I kind of, I charged it out on mate rates. You know, I didn't really make much. Mate rates. Um, I love that. Mate rates. I love that. Okay. <laughs> so he came back to me again this week with a new piece of work, but saying essentially that the budget was was quite limited again. And I thought, oh, gosh, I'm going to have to do another job that isn't really profitable. And I really don't have time to be doing those kind of jobs that you do just because they're interesting mm. at the moment. And then I remembered our conversation. And it was just a game changer, because instead, I priced the job in a way that made it a sensible proposition for me. So, so it would allow me essentially to have my staff support me on the job, I could afford to fund that. And it would keep my diary under control. Now, he hasn't come back to me yet. But that's kind of not the point. Because the point is, as soon as I sent the price, you know, the quote, I realized that I don't mind how he responds because I actually only want that job on terms that make it viable for my business and my team. I had no idea that I was just acting like I had to take the job on the terms he was implying it would have to be on because I was being motivated by being a people pleaser, not 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 by being a rational business leader. You know? <laughs> it's just that thing, you know, that when you drag something into the light, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm being a complete idiot. I don't need to do that at all. <laughs> It's so cool that you like immediately deployed that in your own business. Honestly, it saved me working a weekend and not making any money out of a job. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to have to learn that, that, that lesson twice. Let's just use this as an opportunity right now for a big shout out to those of you who are submitting questions and to those of you who have submitted questions, which you do by sending them to just ask at onairwithella.com. We get some deeply personal responses sometimes and people whose dilemmas we've read on the air or people who have really connected with the dilemmas that we've shared on the air. So I just wanted to give a big fat virtual hug to all of those people and keep your questions coming. We love them. So we have our first letter here, Ella. We're calling this one Transformed Life. She says, I've been having a problem with my stepmother recently. Up until the last 18 months, I didn't have a lot of money to spend on luxuries such as holidays. Now my life is transformed due to my promotion and my new partner. We love to go on nice holidays three or four times a year, and I can now afford to do that. My dad is happy that I'm traveling and seeing the world and is proud of my success. But my stepmother's pulling faces and saying things like, I thought you'd already been on holiday this year. It's got to a point where I've stopped telling them when we go somewhere nice. And, and I find that a shame. She has three sons, all older than me, that perhaps aren't as successful as I am now. I'm finding it hard to deal with. And I find myself being quite angry at her. Is there a better way to deal with this? 
first of all, good for you. <laughs> I mean, she's doing she's doing her thing and she is evolving and her income is growing to reflect that. Like I think that's amazing. So high five there. But wow, money is such it, money and the perception of money and success is such a major personal trigger for people. It's just I mean, you just feel it coming off of this letter. It is. I mean, money in terms of uh, a psychoanalytic perspective is very interesting because it's symbolic essentially. I mean, the, the therapeutic idea would be that that everyone in early infancy, so when you're a baby, you, you want everything from your parent, right? You want them to regulate all your body experiences and all your emotional experiences. And if someone's not there helping you, it can leave you feel feeling desperate when you're a baby. Now, most of us get past that by having a good enough parent. You know, we essentially do have a parent that regulates things for us. And we essentially learn to cope ourselves emotionally and physically in a way that allows us to sometimes cope without having things too, because we learn that if a parent's good enough, they might drop the ball occasionally, but ultimately we're in a safe world. But if if emotionally we have wounds from being overlooked as a small child, it can leave us with a general attitude of, of life being something that will shortchange you, life being something that won't give you what you deserve. So you get a sense that you never get your fair share of anything. So this gets really foregrounded when you're literally talking about money because it becomes such a symbol for the feeling of not getting enough. So so in short, all I, I'm saying really here is it's not surprising that someone suddenly getting a lot more money is throwing up a lot of feelings inside a family. I mean, I don't know if the stepmom is jealous on behalf of her own children that, that were talked about here or whether she's jealous for herself. But essentially, feeling that people are getting something you're not getting is a profoundly primitive experience. And we see it played out with money all the time. Wow. You I mean, everyone can identify someone in their life that sort of has a general attitude of being shortchanged by life. You're so right. It's it's a difficult one to live with as well for that person, you know, that to constantly withhold like that, I think is very hard, you know, whether that's emotionally or financially or whatever. Well, and you know what, this makes this particularly difficult, because we've talked about friend challenges before. But the truth is, with friends, when you out grow your certain friendships or the lifestyle in the context in which you made those friends, like we talked about a little bit in episode 175, when you evolve and some of your friendships don't fit anymore, that's a very natural thing. But you have the luxury of moving on. And in family, (laughs) you're stuck. Yeah, no, you don't choose your family, right? That's what they say. I see two other things going on here too, Tilly. I don't know what you think about this. First of all, the comparison game. Wow, stepmom has major comparison issues issues because she is looking at transformed life's ascension as pushing her own sons down very likely. So it's like transformed life, our our letter writer, if she rises, then the sons are by definition in a relative sense pushed down, which is a false, you know, a false narrative that we create in our heads, but entirely based on what I call this is really this is really deeply, deeply scientific. You might want to write this down. I call it there's not enough pie mentality. <laughs> Oh, Ella, honestly, and honestly, when I read this letter, I was like, oh, please let Ella talk about the pie. She's so good at the pie. <laughs> well, you guys know how I feel about the pie. Like, we feel like abundance in life, whether it's success or weight loss or vacations or money, like, we feel that it's all a pie. And if somebody else gets a piece of pie, that's less for us. So if somebody shows up and they've just met the love of their life and they had a great holiday, <laughs> You know, obviously your resources are now more limited. Like there's no pie, there's no pie. And abundance thinking helps us move from scarcity thinking into the realization that there's sort of this 
infinite supply of all of the lovely things in life. But wow, stepmom definitely thinks, if I may be so bold, that there's not enough pie. So more for her is less for anyone else. That is tough, Tilly. Well, yes. I mean, I do think that you need quite a level of maturity to learn that you can be happy for someone else whilst being disappointed for yourself. It, yes, comparison leads nowhere good, but I think it's quite hard for us to feel that immediately. It takes a level of maturity for us to be happy for someone else while still disappointed for ourselves, or indeed for our own children. Even just neutral about it. Absolutely. What's happening that's positive and transforms life has nothing to do with stepmom. Stepmom's making it have something to do with her. Yes. And I wondered at this as well. Initially, I started wondering if there was something around her being a step parent. But actually, I think that's a red herring. Yeah, you want to make this about her being a step parent. But no, there are so many people listening right now. And this is just their mom or their grandmother. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah exactly. And I think it's actually difficult for parents, whether they're step parents or not. Mm-hmm. Um, if you put decades of parenting into your children where you are making things equal and fair, you know, I have two children and I spend, spend my life on this checks and balances where they're like, how big is his life? you know because there is pie there is pie in childhood <laughs> but but in the game of life as a grown-up you know some people get stuff other people don't get and that adult is looking at her adult children and finding it hard perhaps to adjust to that are you feeling like an enormous sense of passive aggressiveness here <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Because she describes stepmom as expressing her resentment very indirectly, right? Through these passive aggressive comments and through pulling faces to get her point across. And, and I think, I mean, we know that passive aggressiveness is hiding something deeper or something, some resentment. And it's so hard to manage because it's oblique. It's difficult to pin down. It's hard to be like, why are you pulling faces as I'm describing something happy to you? Like, Tilly, I don't even know where <laughs> yeah. to begin with this. Yeah, it's really insidious. And actually, I, I can see why it's really getting to you as well, because you are such a straight shooter in terms of communication. When I first started working with you, it was really funny because I kept trying to work out what was going on with you. And then you were like, oh, no, there's nothing to work out. If I need you to know something, I tell you. <laughs> and it's, it's a delight, actually, because not many people communicate like that. You know, for you, you know, or someone like you, you really might say, hey, quit showing off about your holidays. Some of us have one a year. <laughs> do, do you see my point? But but that virtue of clarity is is not something that we can hope to have with every conversation. Now, the passive aggressive approach, the eye rolling and the slamming of cupboard doors rather than owning the feeling Mm. is essentially a question of responsibility. Because if you have different modes of communication, of course, there's more than three modes of communication. But if you said that there were, you might say that they were passive, passive aggressive and assertive. And the distinction that I think is important really is about responsibility. Because when a person is passive, they are not taking responsibility for their own needs, but they're willing to suck up somebody else's needs. When, When you are passive aggressive, you're taking huge responsibility for your own needs, but you don't give a damn about the other person's needs. But when you're assertive, it's about understanding you have needs, the other person has needs, and that what you're doing when you communicate is trying to come to some connection between those two needs. So essentially, it's much, much, I mean, it's an ideal world, but but, but what we want is a communication where that person can say, you know, when you talk about all of these holidays, it makes me feel like I'm not getting enough pie, you know, and then you can have a real conversation. This is so tough because so much of it is dependent on your own personality and your own tendencies and what you're comfortable with. Because obviously, like if we could sit stepmom down in a room, we could have a loving chat with her about what she's doing and how destructive it is. But this is, I mean, this is real life and transformed life doesn't want to blow up her relationship, doesn't want to create more tension and probably has no idea how to deal with this on like the day to day. 
Well, exactly. Before, because I, I know that you're much better at how to actually deal with things. I, I, I like to sit around and talk about how they feel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, so, so maybe you, you can give us some tips on that. I just wanted to throw in a wild card as well, Ella. Of course, we're just going off a letter here, so we can't possibly know. But, but there is one other version of this story that I just want our listener to consider, even if it's just to check against it and reject it. Is it possible that this is actually a projection? I suppose I'm asking, is the discomfort here entirely the stepmother's? You know, for example, what, what if part of her personally was uncomfortable or guilty about this newfound wealth? And what if that made her project that discomfort out into someone else, the stepmother? So perhaps she's actually unconsciously provoking the stepmother a little and trying to draw a response out of her so that she has somewhere else to put the discomfort about her changed lifestyle. Now, I'm not saying that's what's happening at all. I'm just saying it's another one. It's another tool to think with because sometimes well, so much of a dynamic is part us and part them. And, and it's about what we pull out of them as well as what they push out onto us. Ooh, that is heavy stuff. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, and the truth is, whether that's true for transformed life or not, it's true for somebody listening. Exactly. That's more why I throw it out there. These letters, we do love to engage with real people's lives, but also we're using them just as tools to think with. Whether or not that's the case, I suppose you only have a few options here. The first one that is, you know, obvious and more difficult than it sounds is just to sort of boycott. It's avoidance, right? To just... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to just sort of boycott those conversations. They do not happen. You no longer even try. I mean, I have this in my life with my family when it comes to food or wellness issues. Like, I don't know. Everybody has the obnoxious friend who converts to like a healthier lifestyle and then they preach. <laughs> So I did that. <laughs> I did that. I was like, you don't want to eat that. This is why you never want to eat that again, ever. This is everything yeah, people you love need to it do. when you talk to them like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a really, really, that was real. I found that to be a very useful period in my life with my immediate <laughs> loved ones. Um, and then I realized that there is absolutely no win situation there. I was the one that was being obnoxious, but, but, but it created a situation where every time I got fed after that, there was a 20 minute discussion on whether or not I would be eating what I was serving. So anyway, it sort of came back to bite me in the butt. What I'm trying to say is yeah. I now, I mean, for years, have not approached the subject of food or nutrition or what I eat or what I don't eat. I just do my thing when I'm at family gatherings and that type of thing. So I've just, I just boycott the, that entire line of conversation. And I was like, you know what? Let's just never talk about this again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And these things have a rhythm, right? So with the first time they drag out, you know, your meal choices across the table, or indeed roll their eyes when you're going on holiday, they will expect a certain reaction. You know, there's a rhythm to these that we repeat again and again. And the first couple of times, it's a bit awkward, because you might just choose to raise an eyebrow and then offer a cup of tea, you know, but actually do it two or three times, people adjust, you know, they're not going to keep making you have a conversation you refuse to have. I think no matter where you are on this issue, boundaries have to be set. Even if you're avoiding a topic, I think it's a hundred times easier to avoid a topic if you set the boundary out first. And you say, you know what, I've noticed that this doesn't, like, this is not a pleasant topic between us or that you, you, you seem to have a reaction when I bring this up or, or you don't make it about them at all. And you just say, you just say, yeah, you know, I figure we're the only ones largely interested in our holiday. So we can talk about something else or I'm, I'm not doing a good job, but no, I think, I think you are. It's a difficult, it's a difficult 
difficult conversation. I mean, at it, at its sort of most assertive end, you might you might say, "Look, I notice that you roll your eyes whenever I talk about our holidays. Does it bother you?" But I have a hunch that if you're talking to someone deeply passive aggressive, they're just going to say, "I don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone." But there are other ways of doing it, and, and one of them might just be, you know, I feel so blessed to be having all these holidays, but I appreciate that you know, going on about them might not be what everybody else wants to talk about. And you just you've made your point, you've moved on, and you find a new way to talk about it in future. Yeah, I mean, I just want to be super fair to transformed life. We do understand you're not just shoving this down her throat. Like we know that. And I don't know what your relationship is like with stepmom. But if you're comfortable saying, oh, you're rolling your eyes. Am I over talking this? If you can honestly just acknowledge what they just did and say, I'm sorry, am I over talking this? I I still think that for some people, that's going to be super uncomfortable because the other person might be wildly unpredictable. Also, as so often with these cases, the thinking work is on your end. And actually, you may just get to a stage where you think, you know what, the only thing I can change about this situation is how I respond. So you just need to do the work where you decide that these are her issues and that you can talk to your dad about it or not her, or you can talk to her about it, but she's going to roll her eyes and that's going to roll off you. you. You sometimes just have to change where you are, not where they are. At the end of the day, I suppose my message here would be, where do you need to set a boundary and where do you need to walk away? Yeah, I think that's fair. And only you can know that really. Number two is from Never Cleans. Here's her letter. I have two adult sons in their 20s, both living at home with me. The oldest could afford his own place, and the youngest is saving for university in September, working in a low-wage position. They do very little around the house. They never have. But now I have health problems, and I think they should step up. If I complain, they do nothing. They say things like, I made you a coffee, or they tell me that I'm picking on them. If I ask them to clean up the kitchen, for example, everything is still there the next day. They say they forgot. They just joke, and they tease me about nagging them or for being uptight. Is having to fight for getting the dishes and other help done normal? Shouldn't they have grown out of this by now? This is from Never Cleans and my blood pressure went up about 20 points reading this letter. (laughs) Yeah. How long would these boys last in your house, Ella? 11 seconds. (laughs) Okay. So so look, I, I, I don't know if this is a thing in the US and the way it is in the UK, but a number of issues, a kind of socioeconomic issues have come together at the moment for us like increased house prices and, and, and frozen salaries and also actually the rise of internships, you know, early early career unpaid work. And it's meant that young people are actually staying home later here. So, so in fact, there was actually, um, there was a study quite recently that said that adolescence starts earlier than it ever did. I think they placed it around 11 and, and, and it finishes in the mid to late 20s. They were saying that millennials are essentially much more heavily parented. You know, they get more financial and emotional support and much more involvement generally from their parents than any generation before. I think I think it's particularly interesting here because the listener writes as though her two boys have just appeared from Mars, like like their behavior is totally separate to her, that they would be behaving like this regardless of how she has lived with them. So it's not to say she's entirely responsible for their behavior. In fact, I think the issue here may be that she has historically taken too much responsibility for them. But but this is definitely something she's playing a part in for me. Um, Never cleans. I don't know how to tell you this, but you're contributing to this far more than you realize. Yeah, she's perpetuating this because, because I mean, her in, invisible labor, if you like, these guys don't even know what they don't know. They pre- presumably don't e- aren't even aware of all the work she's doing for them. There are several words that stand out to me. They do very little around the house. They never have. Okay, flag number one. But now I have health problems, and I think they should step up. And if I complain, they do nothing. Okay, first of all, they never have. This is not today's problem. You are you are acknowledging to us that they've never stepped up. Okay. The second thing is, 
It doesn't matter if you have health problems or not. This is not optional. This shouldn't be now you need their help. This should be they are grown men. And they sh- if they are going to live with you, then they need to be holding their own. Yeah, I kept thinking, why was this all okay until she became ill? It's not okay. And the third thing is, she says, if I complain, they do nothing. Is your boss complaining when she says you had to do X, Y, Z, and you did none of them? That's not complaining. That's factual reporting on where you dropped the ball. That's not complaining. So I think never cleans is not seeing herself as the homeowner, as the leader, as the person in charge, and the boss of this household, which she is. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that when we say, ah, well, you've been doing this for 25 years, so there's your problem. That doesn't really help never (laughs) cleans. (laughs) Um, Because habits are so ingrained. And And not just the habits of who does the washing up, but habits on how people relate. I don't know if you know the phrase, people don't change until staying the same hurts more than changing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and and so the only thing that's changed in this story is the listener. She's become unwell. So she wants them to step up. But they have a clear habit of her not mattering and her work being invisible. And essentially a massive sense of entitlement, if I may, where they're allowed to treat her like a silly person who can be teased and taken for granted. And as awful as that is, if it's passed unremarked for 27 years, they're not going to suddenly realize it's out of order unless something changes for them. I don't want to assume, but I don't think that she is valuing her own role in this, Tilly. Well, I I wondered about that, you know, in terms of dragging things out into the light, you know, a lot of women who are creative and clever and have a massive contribution to make have found themselves sort of to, to a certain degree stuck with the area of expertise being the home and being the family. So a lot of those women take that energy and creativity and pour it into being some kind of uber overachieving mother rather than something that that, that is for them. And I, we're making huge assumptions here. I, I have no idea if our letter writer has said that, has implied that rather. But I wonder if there is something she's been getting out of this dynamic until now as well. Perhaps she hasn't also taken herself that seriously. Yeah, I think a lot of us find value in being needed. And I don't think that's even necessarily a bad thing. But I do think that what's useful is as we evolve and realize we don't want to create codependent situations because of our need to be needed. Or if we have done and we have tired of it, it's not too late to change. And so that's my encouragement for Never Cleans is that it doesn't matter what you've done for the past 27 years with these now completely fully grown adult children. What matters is how you feel today, where you are right now, and where you're going to start. And I get that she probably is a little bit scared, Tilly. Again, we're making assumptions, but that's what we do. That's how this works. And so if the assumptions, (laughs) if these are wrong for Never Cleans, then they might be right for somebody else. And my assumption is that she may very well be actually scared to assert herself. She might not value her own feelings. And so she's done nothing but put others needs and feelings ahead of her own. And so then of course, there's going to be anxiety and guilt when you when it comes to the point where you have to ask for what you need. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. It's essentially, you know, she she's asking for them to be nice to her rather than assuming that they will be and seeing something as deeply wrong if they're not. Yeah. And this is your territory. But I know that this can bring up all kinds of issues. Like you're afraid of somebody else's anger at you or judgment, not I mean, even not being liked in your own household, or you might even fear that you're going to lose their love or their approval in some way like this can gen up a lot of the feelings. 
Yeah, no one likes conflict, Ella. You know, well, not many of us. <laughs> yeah, I don't like conflict either, but it's time for her to be taken seriously. I agree. They won't change unless something changes for them. So one of the things that I think is really important is, is that you need to be specific, not general, when you talk to someone about these things. So you don't say, you never help round the house. Instead, you would say, you have left your dishes in the sink for the last seven hours. I find this completely unacceptable. I mean, assuming that these young men aren't terrible people, the thing that might trigger change is for them to see their own behavior differently. So so I don't know, there's a number of things that, that Never Cleans could do, but perhaps introducing a third party could bring the kind of shock of the new. You know, when you see your own behavior through someone else's eyes, that, that may make them feel differently. How would you do that? Um, well, it really might be that there's a family friend or that, you know, there's, there's. I mean, I even know, certainly with smaller children, I know someone that, that videoed just a family dinner just to show how many times they asked someone to hold their fork. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but actually, this is a point, you know, because these guys are behaving like children, it makes me want to parent them like children. You know, if my kids refuse to pick up after themselves, I will take away their pudding. You know, it's that simple. There has to be consequences. I mean, why on earth would the oldest son move when he's got this kind of rent free housekeeper, you know, so there has to be a feeling for them to relate to there has to be a consequence. I totally agree. And actually, you made me think of several things. First of all, you said, they won't change until she changes. And what has happened here is they haven't changed. She has, but now she needs to communicate that and she needs to communicate it differently. And the other thing that you said that triggered me was, I love the idea of her taking pictures. Let's assume she works or leaves the house during the day. I love the idea of her taking a photograph, sending it to them and being like, this needs to be cleaned up by the time I get home. And then she gets home and she takes another photograph and she's like, this was not cleaned. And the consequence is this. Like, I actually love the idea of creating sort of a third party. I'm just, I'm just brainstorming, but sh she can create a third, a sense of third party by showing them what they are doing and what it looks like. Does that make any yeah, sense? Yeah. I think, well, it's good because it's so factual so it ceases to be about how she feels and instead it's about the fact that there's a pile of rubbish in the sink I mean while we're brainstorming you know the other one that just would would happen for me you know because people can feel things in their wallet when they're refusing to feel it elsewhere I would be if this house is not in an acceptable state by Saturday morning I will I will contract an industrial cleaning firm and you will pay for it and that will happen every week until the house is how it ought to be on a Saturday morning yeah, let's break this down. There has to be consequences. There have to be, before you have consequences, you have to have the rules. So you have to have the, yeah. the, the rules of engagement. She needs to share with them in a completely different way. And honestly, just by sharing these with them, that would be a completely different way. But she needs to say what her expectations are. She is the CEO of this house. And she needs to yeah. say, I own this house. You are borrowers. I am letting you stay here. And the fee for that is because I firmly believe both of them should be contributing financially. I don't know what you think about that, but I don't care. It doesn't have to be the same rate. They are two different adults in two different situations. The eldest son is just living rent free with a housekeeper, to your point. So that should cost money. The younger son is saving up to attend university. I totally get that. But the younger son should contribute something. The older son should contribute something more. What do you think? No, this reminds me of my mum actually. She told me she told me that when she was a kid she would earn she was earning seven pounds a week in her first job and her mother made her pay five pounds a week rent, but would give her a pound back every day for lunch. But it's really charming because what it really means is you need to learn what it feels like to pay rent and know that goes somewhere, even if actually I'm your really soppy mum and I'll give it all back to you. There's there's just there's something very important about learning that living costs. Okay, the way I say it is your mom was making four pounds a week off her kid. <laughs> Okay, that story's still not working. <laughs>
no, no, no. I love it. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's, let's equip Never Cleans with a few suggestions. The first thing that we're saying is write down your own expectations, write it down for yourself, and then take it to your sons and say, you know what? I'm sick and tired. And this is how this is going. New day, new rules. I mean, I don't want to impose my personality on her, but I think anyone in this situation needs to create very clear expectations and set some boundaries. What do you think? Yes, I think so. And I think it's about changing the tone entirely. You know, it's it's about taking photographs and saying, if this isn't clean by Monday, then these pictures are going up on your Facebook feed so that people know how you Ooh, live with your mother. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> So we have additional suggestions. She should consider having them contribute some amount of money monthly and that there's an expectation for what each one will do. They should have chores weekly, just like they, just like they should have if they were 10 years old and 12 years old. We are suggesting that at no time should she clean up after them. At no time should she do their laundry. At no time should she make their bed. Like if she has to pile everything up and shove it behind their bedroom door and shut the door, then so be it. If she has to put pizza boxes in their room and shut the door, then so be it. But at no time does she clean up after them. I absolutely feel the same. And that is hard because then you feel like, why am I having to deal with this? Like, I just want to live in a nice home. But the truth is you're on a path to change. And the only way that that will change is if you go through the discomfort of being different with them. Our third dilemma this week is quite an interesting one. So it's it's from someone that we're calling unhealthy eaters. After my siblings and I moved out, my parents began to cook less and eat out nearly every day, making very unhealthy choices. My mum keeps complaining that she doesn't know why she is fat and gaining weight every year. Despite me pointing out her unhealthy choices, she drinks fizzy drinks, she eats burgers, she doesn't change her eating habits, she just continues to complain that she's fat and unhealthy. She keeps thinking that there are obstacles in her way that don't exist. So she'll say, I'll lose weight when I don't have to work. But then she retires and guess what? She still isn't cooking. She just prefers to eat convenience meals and that's what she's doing. She becomes defensive when I talk to her about this. How do you deal with your family not looking after themselves, not having healthy behaviors? And how do you deal sitting by and watching their health decline? I don't know anyone who doesn't have this situation in some way in their lives. You want the best for the people that you love and you cannot control their actions and whether they're smoking or whether they're eating unhealthily or whether they're not taking their medication or whatever it may be. I think so many people can relate to this. I, I Yes, I think we all can. Definitely. Actually, when you said smoking, it really made me think that, you know, it, it really, you know, it hurts when you see someone doing something that you know will make their health decline, especially if you love them. But but this dilemma is fascinating to me because I feel like it could be taken one of two ways. Um, Are so you going to go dark is, on me here? I am. I am. Sorry, it's all the <laughs> Freud, but, but the dark bit first then. Okay. So, so I would ask, d- does the listener feel that her parents care for her and that they have cared for her as much as she is needed? Because sometimes when we see people essentially trying to parent their own parents, it's sometimes because of a kind of inversion. So, so if you feel neglected, if you feel that your parents aren't caring for you enough, some, sometimes you can protect yourself from that pain by putting that energy into protecting them and caring for them. Does that make sense? Wow. Yeah. So you give your parents the care and attention that you actually want for yourself. And that would make sense, I think, of how frustrated and cross she perhaps feels over the poor choices she sees them make. You know, some of the words she's using, like fat and so on, aren't actually terribly kind. And and I wonder if actually that could be a manifestation of, of some fury of not being nourished in some way. But we can't possibly know this about our listener, Ella. And, and, and so I think perhaps we ought to go back 
to the other alternative view, which, which of course is that she is simply a straightforward person wanting better for her parents. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've made somebody think, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so look, the other way, perhaps the more straightforward way to interpret this dilemma is that the listener is worrying about her parents in a loving way. And and perhaps she's feeling some guilt. Everyone worries about their parents as they get older. But, but she says specifically that her parents ate well when their kids were at home. So when it was for their children, really. But now that the children have left, they don't see their own health as this worthy of the same attention somehow. They perhaps find it hard to prioritise themselves and their own well-being in a way that they could do for their children. I mean, I suppose I'm just flagging that so often food isn't about food. All of those possible drivers are so interesting. I mean, you make me think so, so much. I think at the end of the day... It's so hard because you want the best for them, whoever these people would be in your own life, the person that maybe over drinks, the person that smokes, the person that doesn't exercise and you're just dying for them too, the person who's letting their health decline, the person who could get a job that makes them really happy, but they don't. Like who doesn't have this in their life? And all you want is the best for them. And yet you're barely an influencer. Like you're certainly not the decision maker and you're just barely an influencer. And sometimes trying to be an influencer can really backfire. But you know what, Tilly? I have a provocative hypothesis here. Not as provocative as yours. <laughs> the problem is actually not what she thinks it is. The problem is less obvious, in my opinion. I think the problem is that she wants them to change and that she has to tolerate the untruths right? Like that they're telling themselves because that there's that happening too. So she wants them to change. She wants them to actually change their behavior. She also has to listen to these untruths and these rationalizations that she just knows aren't true. And I think that she can address both of those things, but she can't change her mom. Like, and, and that needs to be given up. What do you think? You know, we're taught to be so rational. So she is very frustrated. It's pre pressing her buttons the gap between what her parents are saying and what they're doing. And she's trying to fill that gap with knowledge. She thinks if she gives them the information, if she points out that burgers are bad for you and that eating takeaway is going to make you unwell, that that will somehow change something. But look, there's just no research that, I mean, there is no evidence that, sh that, that that knowing a fact makes people change their behavior. Okay, telling people stuff doesn't make them change. Explaining to people what they are doing wrong does not make them change because behavior is very rarely intellectually driven. Behavior is, is, is emotionally and socially driven. For our listener, hitting her parents over the head with information is just not going to work as a strategy. It, instead, I would suggest that perhaps she explores some of the feelings around it. You know, because sometimes the, the trigger for change will be somewhere else entirely. So, so, so is it that her parents, for example, are missing having their children to look after and nourish? And that's why they're not cooking. If so, can, can she work on that level? Can she start spending more time with them or asking them to have her kids for supper one night a week? Or, you know, if she's going to make an intervention, it would probably be great for that to not be a food or exercise based intervention. Just Doing something that changes the, the broader circumstances would be really helpful. And I actually just wanted to tell a, a, a little personal story here. So, so there was a period where my dad had retired and was a bit bored and his life was feeling a little flat. And we were all telling him that and telling him things that he ought to do to fill that gap. And he had absolutely no interest in doing that. That just was not triggering change for him at all. But my brother, who is genius at these things, just intuitively knew. And he researched the motorbikes that my dad used to build when he was 17. And he bought one of them, one of them that was practically in pieces, oh. and then said to my dad, you know, I'm really hopeless with this stuff. I don't know how to rebuild it. And 
it was transformative because what he realized was that my dad needed to feel useful and engaged. And now, actually, my dad spends the whole of his retirement traveling around Europe on these crazy old motorbikes <laughs> in quite an eccentric way. But but the truth was my brother triggered the change by, by getting him where he was, which is that he needed to connect emotionally, not just telling him that his life was empty. Do you, do you see my point? I think that's a miracle story. And I also, I'm thinking of all the people in my life I want better things for, and it makes me feel like I need to be buying them their motorbike. Do you know what I mean? I'm not being funny. <laughs> no, that's it. We're printing t-shirts. We want to buy you your motorbike. <laughs> but like, it makes me, because I'm half golden retriever, you know, and I'm like, how can I help? How can I help? I guess what you're suggesting is she can just even have those dialogues with her parents yeah. where it's not about yeah. food it's not about lifestyle it's about what they need what what lights them up Th this is my vote that my vote is leave the food to one side just let them eat the burgers and drink the pot find other things to engage with and that might just move things into another direction I love the way you think about these things because I'm over here going, well, you want better for your parents, but you have to know you can't make it happen. So there's that. Again, the word boundaries, it's come up in every single one of these dilemmas today. She doesn't have to listen to the stories. Like she doesn't have to listen to the rationalization. And that to me is the area where some boundary setting is useful. And just saying to her mom, like being honest one time and then being consistent about shutting it down and just saying, well, I think we disagree on that. You think that this is just happening to you. I'm not saying this right, okay? I'm just trying to get the point across. You think these things are just happening to you and landing on you, and I disagree. I actually think they're far more under your control than you might realize or want to acknowledge, but let's just agree to disagree and then divert the conversation back to the things that they can actually talk about. But I, I mean... That's so basic. Yes, Ella. And, and actually, no, but no, it's not basic because it's about what it costs you emotionally. If it's really not hurting you that your parents are talking about, about why they don't understand they can't, can't lose weight, then you can do the motorbike. You know, you can you can engage with it creatively. But actually, if, if it's hurting you. So, for example, if actually this was about a mother that kept looking at her own body and saying how awful it was when it's exactly the same body as you have. Or, you know, if it's painful in some way, then, yes, you're not going to be in a position where you can start being creative and playful about transitions for them you're you're instead going to need to protect yourself and set up boundaries <sighs> being an adult is hard <laughs> yes. i'm gonna go back and live with never cleans do you have room for me never cleans <laughs> You guys, thank you so much for these questions. We never pretend to have all of the answers. In fact, sometimes we just have more questions. Our goal is to help us all think about these things differently, maybe see things differently. Yeah, and I should say, Ella, I mean, I, I'm, I apologize if I've gone a little deep, but this stuff is just so thought-provoking. Do write in. We want to hear about boy-girl friendships. We want to hear about the way that you come across at work. We want, we want to hear anything that you've got to talk to us about. Tilly, you've said so many things today that help me see these so, so differently and, and really make me think. So you guys keep them coming. Love ya. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com, where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.